Does my life have a purpose? I want, to th- I want you to think about this question very personally this morning. Not does God have a purpose for the world, but does God have a purpose for me, specifically for my life, and, and how can I know what that purpose is? Few things in life are as important as finding our purpose. When we understand our purpose, we can put up with a lot of inconveniences and even some pain in order to achieve it. For example, what if your boss asks you to come in and work one Saturday morning to open up a stack of 10,000 envelopes and sort through the contents? No overtime pay, just weekend work. You had plans, and this wasn't it. But if he or she told you that in one of those letters there's a $100,000 bonus check for you and you needed to find it, you'd be opening each one of those envelopes with a whole different attitude, wouldn't you? Same tedious job. The difference is your sense of purpose. Knowing that God has a purpose for our lives will transform how we see everything in our life, from what we do with our blessings to how we interpret our pain. So how can we discover that purpose? Psalm 57 begins with this note. For the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time he fled from Saul and went into the cave. Now this little note is important to the context of this psalm because David wrote this song while he was in hiding. King Saul was trying to kill David because he had been anointed the future king of Israel, and Saul, the current king, didn't like that very much, so he chased David out of the country, and now he has several thousand soldiers scouring the countryside looking for him. In short, everything has gone wrong for David. Listen to David's words. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Now, Psalm 57 is a pretty remarkable psalm because in spite of all the things that are going wrong in David's life, in spite of the fact that he is suffering innocently, not one time does he ask God to change his situation. The only thing he asks God for is, God, glorify your name in this situation. I don't deserve, he didn't say, uh, Lord, I need you to vindicate my good name. He doesn't say, I don't deserve this. 
please fix this situation. At the very least, God, give me some nicer accommodations. This cave is a dump. And while you're at it, do something to Saul so that he's miserable and stop chasing me. David may have wanted those things, but he recognizes that something bigger is going on in this situation. So rather than asking for anything, he prays twice. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. In other words, God used this situation to let other people see just how majestic you are. Now David is confident that God's going to answer. In verse 2, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. In verse 7, I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. Instead of cowering in fear, David is getting a good night's sleep and he's waking up to sing songs of joy. I want to suggest this morning three things from this psalm that I think we can learn about our purpose in life. First, God has a purpose for us but it's not about us. We can see this in the refrain that David goes back to again and again. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heaven. May your glory shine over all the earth. Superseding David's desire to be rescued is this prayer for God to be glorified. And the message in that is simply this. The ultimate purpose of our life is not about us. You and I exist for God's glory. And this is a difficult thing for us to get sometimes, because the, uh, but the ultimate purpose of all that happens on earth is to bring glory to God. Why? Why did God create the earth? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. God's creation is this grand tapestry that's woven together to display his glory. Why did God choose to save his people Israel? Psalm 106, 8, even so he saved them to defend the honor of his name and to demonstrate his mighty power. Isaiah 48, 9, for my sake and for the honor of my name, I will, not, I, I will hold back my anger and I will not wipe them out. Ezekiel 36, therefore give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord, I am bringing you back but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you have brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1.6 that God chose to save us in the way that he did to put on display his glorious grace. And David says that the reason God continues to work in his life is for the glory of God's name. In Psalm 23, 3, David says, He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. So the ultimate purpose God has in mind for each of us is to bring God glory. That's why he created us. St. Paul would tell us that in everything we do, whether we eat or drink, we should do it all to the glory of God. Now you say, wait a minute, Rod, that seems pretty self-centered of God. Let me give you an analogy. In order for life on earth to work, the earth has to rotate around the sun. 
and the sun must remain at the center of the Earth's orbit because for the Earth to ever lose the sun at that center would mean certain destruction for all of us. Well, that's how we are with God. In Psalm 16:11, it says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. If God wants us to have all the good things that he wants to give us, he insists that we build our lives around him as the center. The essence of God is love. And God wants us to share in that, so he insists that we put him at the center of our life. In his book, Hot Tub Religion, J.I. Packer says this. He said, if it's right for people to have the glory of God as our goal, can it be wrong for God to have the same goal? The reason it cannot be right for people to live for themselves as if uh, uh, we were God is because we are not God. However, it is not wrong for God to seek his own glory because he is God. And the reason that it's so hard for us to get is that we are born into this life with a completely backwards mentality, thinking that we are at the center of everything. Let me walk you through a little history of humankind. I already explained that the uh, reason God created the world was to demonstrate his glory. With the tip of his finger, God flung the continents and the galaxies into place. He made the stars and the clouds and the mountains and the seas and the atom and the cell. And then after everything else was created, God created a person to share in that glory. Now this creation was special because God designed this part of his creation in his own image. And then God did the unthinkable. He handed the brush to us and told us to paint the center. Creation wasn't completed yet, but God wanted us to have a part in it, so he let us choose who we would follow. Why? Because he knows what every person who's ever been in love knows, that it is only love when the person freely chooses you. And God wanted a creation that was centered in love. And, but we took the brush and we painted in not God, but ourselves. We said, I'm going to be the center. <laughs> I'm going to be the boss. It's called sin. And every child born into the world ever since arrives thinking first about their needs and their will. The two words we never, ever have to teach our kids. No and mine right? Somehow they just learn those words automatically. Somehow kids learn those things all on their own. We never have to send our kids to rebellion camp, do we? we never, they never have to stay after school to be tutored in selfishness. You know, we get all those things naturally. And that's because our default setting in life is being self-centered. And when we look at a picture, we determine how good the picture is based on what? How we look in it. That's a metaphor for life. If things are going well for us, we think life is good. Even in our religious life, we're selfish. Sometimes our prayer lives are like, dear God, gimme, 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 gimme. God, help me to get this. Stop him. Punish her. Make everything behave the way I want it to behave so I can be happy. Hey, God, are you listening? I'm at the center. Take care of me. And when God doesn't do what we ask, we get angry at him. Hey, God, what's the problem? Don't you get it? It's about my glory, my happiness. 
That's really how a lot of us think. And that same self-centeredness carries over into our financial giving. When we give, we often expect God to make it worth our while. We put some money in the offering plate and we think, God, (laughs) did you see that? Did you see what I put in? You owe me now. Bless me. We live as if God exists to glorify us at the center of the universe. And if God doesn't do what we think uh, that he should do, we're like, hey, the nerve of that guy. And then we walk around confused, saying, God, how am I supposed to defend you to people and convince them that you're such a good God? I just don't understand you. I don't understand what you're up to. And God says, what do you mean what I'm up to? My glory. That's what. And you think, God... What about my glory? I'm at the center. You may be thinking, well, Rod, I still feel like it's not all that loving or not all that right for God to seek his own glory. Well, let's talk about how God pursued his glory after we rejected him. What do you do when your prized creation hijacks the rest of your creation and makes it all about them? You know, governments in Jesus' day had a very simple answer for rebellious people. You crush them. And when the Jews dared to rebel against the Romans, the Romans came down and they strung up thousands of Hebrew men and women on crosses and they tore down uh, their walls and they built the triumphal arch of Titus and they celebrated their victory by singing songs about winning. What did Jesus do when we flaunted his glory? Did he crush us? Did he set up an arch of triumph in heaven and have angels sing songs of celebration about how quickly he destroyed us? No. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took on the humble position of a slave And he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. How did God's son react when we usurped his glory? He did what you and I would never do. He came to earth and he took the form of a servant and he died for our sins in our place. And when he arrived on earth, he never played the God card. I probably would have done that. He didn't. Instead of crushing the traitors, he offered himself to be crushed by them while they were taunting him. Most of us would have had a hard time would have a hard time dying for a friend, but Jesus died for his enemies as they spit on his face and as they mocked him. In other words, God said, "You painted me out of the picture. You shoved me to the side, you rebelled against me, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you." And he left heaven and he traveled to earth and he laid aside his glory. Angels must have looked on perplexed. What's he doing? He was born in a stable, took the form of a servant. He died at the hands of traitors like us as a sacrifice for all of our sins so that we could share in the joy of his glory. Philippians 2.9, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can almost hear Paul saying to us, he's not worthy to receive glory from us. 
He's twice as worthy of all the glory in our life, both as creator and as savior. His glory is not a selfish glory that crushed us when we rebelled. It was a glory that sacrificed himself to save us. How can we who have, ex who have experienced that not give God the glory that he deserves? The psalmist David gets it. He understands this whole thing is not about him. It's about God, and we'll never, we will never understand our purpose in life until we get that. Some of us may be at a place where we want to invite God into our life. Uh, maybe you're just sitting uh, here in church and you realize that something has been missing in your life, and that's great, but I want to keep you from making a mistake that a lot of church people make, and that is simply that we make God a part of our life. We think, I need God in order to be happy in life. And we don't come to God to just make him a part of our life. We need our eyes open to see that Jesus didn't come uh, into this, uh, onto this earth to be an important planet in our solar system. He came to be the center of it. Now, secondly, God does have a purpose for us, and it's mostly about what he's doing in us. I think it was Rick Warren who first said, God is more interested in our character than he is our comfort. This life, after all, is just a warm-up act for eternity. We'll live here on earth uh, less than 100 years on average. We live in eternity for trillions of years. God is more interested in making us holy than he is making us happy. Notice how many times in verse 1, David talks about his soul finding refuge in God. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. David's refuge was not in the cave where he was hiding. It was not in the small army that he had gathered around him. Saul's army was ten times as big. No, he keeps crying out for what? God's mercy. His refuge was in the steadfast love and grace of God. God's purpose in all of this was to teach David to make God's presence his refuge. And that God's purpose for us, that's God's purpose for us as well. You see, God's purpose for us is not so much something that we can do for him, but the way we learn to depend on him. We serve a God who has no needs. So what we become in him is more important than what we can do for him. I love how the prophet Isaiah says it. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been and never will be. I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. We're not chosen because God has something he needs us to do but for something that God wants us to understand and testify to, and that is that Jesus is the only reliable Savior that we need. God has no needs. So what we do for him is not nearly as important as what we become in him. Sometimes he attacks our places of safety to teach us that they're not permanent. Like David, he drives us from our country and puts us in the wilderness so that we'll learn to find our home and our security and our identity in God. And like David, God sometimes puts us in a cave, as it were, with all kinds of things waiting for us on the outside to teach us to depend on him. We take refuge in a lot of things, don't we? Our abilities, our stocks, our pills, our government, whatever. 
But God attacks these places of refuge and reveals our inabilities because he wants his mercy to be our primary place of refuge. God has a purpose for us. And it's about what he's doing in us. God is more interested in our character than he is our comfort. And once we get that, some of what God is doing in our life will begin to make a lot more sense. And here's the last one. God has a purpose for us, and if we're surrendered to it, he will fulfill that purpose. David says in verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. David makes the same statement in Psalm 138. The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. You know, some of us have used the line on our kids, finish what you start. Let me personalize that phrase a little bit. What God, we, we are what God has started. And we are the work of God's hands. And God always finishes what he starts. God is a perfectionist when it comes to his purposes and he will not let anything get in the way of what he's doing in our life. For David, this means that God will save him from the wicked plans of others. Verse, verse three, he will send help from heaven to rescue me disgracing those who hound me. May God, my God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongue cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. I have dug a deep, they have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. God overrules all the evil and turns it into good. And sometimes he saves us even from our own stupid decisions. That's, what, that's why David calls out for God's mercy. Mercy implies that David has realized that he's made a lot of mistakes in life. And we've all made bad decisions, haven't we? But when we surrender to God, God has a way of weaving everything together for his purpose. And if we make ourselves the center of the universe, nothing will ever work right. If we make God the center of the universe, then the entire cosmos is realigned for God to fulfill his purpose in us. I love Romans 8, uh, chapter, uh, verses 28 through 30. It's a great promise. Says we, Paul says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. For those who love God. Notice that? Not for those who love themselves. And here's the irony in that statement. If we love ourselves the most and want everything to work out for good for us, it won't. But if we love God and make him the center, he weaves all things together, even the tough things in life into a beautiful tapestry and he does it for those who are called according to his purposes so what is that purpose simply to make us more like jesus look at what paul says in verse 29 for god knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son verse 30 and having chosen them he called them to come to him and having called them he gave them the right gave them right standing with himself and having given them right standing he gave them his glory. God always finishes what he starts. So we can be confident, Paul says in Philippians 1, that he who has begun the good work in us will bring it to completion. And when we surrender to God's purposes, the power of that promise becomes our place of refuge. 
God does have a purpose for each of us. And he wants us to exalt his name on this earth. And he wants to teach us to trust him. Are you discovering that? Are you praying, God, glorify your name through me? Whether you're a student or a business professional or an athlete or a parent raising kids, are you leveraging your life for God's glory and for spreading God's good news to others? Are your talents and skills being used for God's glory or your own? You know, the success of our life is measured solely by whether we have discovered our purpose, and that is to glorify God. God.